Welcome to Definitely Maybe Agile, a podcast where Peter Madison and David Shurrock discuss the complexities of adopting new ways of working at scale. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Definitely Maybe Agile with your hosts, Peter Madison and David Shurrock. How are you today, Dave? Very good. Very good. It's been a, an interesting few conversations we've had over the last couple of weeks. It has. And uh, I, 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 if I'm, I'm just going by memory, but if I remember rightly, we talked about business model transformations. And one of the things when we were chatting about that, that comes to my mind is one company's business model transformation is another company's domain transformation. Yes. As an introduction, if you like, to, you know, transformation number three, domain transformations, and what exactly is a domain transformation? What could you add to that? Uh, I, I think that, uh, I think you're right, that uh, I, I think of this different type of transformation, when we're looking at like these four types of uh, digital transformation, the process, business model, domain, and the cultural organizational, and we've spoken about process and business model, and now we're going to have a chat about uh domain transformation. I think of the the differentiation between this business model and domain transformation as when a company comes into a, a new domain or comes into a domain which isn't normally the domain that they'd be operating in. And because of their expertise in the domain they're coming from, they take an entirely different approach. And the way that they think about that uh, domain, it, it differs so much from the current incumbents that they can be highly disruptive, and that they can kind of because they're they're not even they're not even using the same logic that the people who've been doing this for so long are using. They come in and they just change the game. This is often referred to as that innovators' dilemma. Is another way of looking at it within. Innovators' dilemma, Clayton Christensen is talking about in within a single organization, typically. But the innovators' dilemma is, is also how do you innovate past where you're at? And when I, when I look at the domain transformation, what strikes me is this is the cool place to be. Everybody wants to be here, but it's also really rare and very difficult to be there. Most organizations probably aren't there. They're not really playing in this area. So, and it is that it, this is where you start having what you have to understand what skills, what capabilities you have, because you're trying to apply those capabilities in a different marketplace. And so you really have to understand your own capabilities very clearly and then be able to step into a marketplace and and do something different to the incumbent. Uh, exactly. And I, Let's talk about some examples in this space. Um, I think I mean, one of the common ones, especially in the technology space, would be uh, Amazon going from a, a retailer of uh, books uh, online to uh, completely disrupting the way that uh, infrastructure and data centers are, are managed and deployed by bringing cloud computing to everybody and allowing well, there's so many transformations that were caused as a consequence of that, but they completely disrupted the uh, the enterprise server market. Uh, the the way, instead of going out and buying computer equipment and finding a rack somewhere and wiring it all up, uh, you just pull out your credit card and buy the service from Amazon, and you, they would deliver it uh, over the internet. And so now you're not you don't have that entire model. The entire domain has completely been disrupted by AWS and Azure and Google, of course. I'll mention them. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think that one is the, the sort of definitive definition of a domain transformation. And, um, and it has a couple of characteristics that we probably want to identify. One of the ones I like about that from a domain transformation piece is if you look at the, um, the you know, income statement, the balance sheet, 
there is a different line of revenue associated with what Amazon is doing in its store and what it is doing in terms of Amazon Web Services. So that's one of the key things that you're looking for in a domain transformation is it is a totally different market and it's almost certainly going to be recognized as a totally different line of business, right? One of the second things is it's almost accidental. I, I don't know that Amazon started out trying to build AWS. I think they built the capability to solve their own problems and then as a result of that, recognizing the capabilities they had and looking at the market and understanding that there was a need, a desire for those capabilities, they're then able to make that switch. So that speaks back to what we were just talking about, which is you need to understand your capabilities and then how they can apply to the market where you can go. And I kind of hint that it's, it, I'm not sure that it's often accidental, but I think it's a somewhat opportunistic. You kind of build the capabilities to solve your own problems first, and then you find out that those capabilities are in demand somewhere else. I, I, think, that's, I think that's a good example of where it's happened in that manner. How, how about an example, though, like uh, Uber? I mean, Uber started by going into a domain and taking a different approach, right? They, they started from the entire concept of, hey, we see an opportunity to disrupt this domain, and they built their entire business around it. That's an, an interesting question. So I think um, if I don't use Uber necessarily, but I think of Silicon Valley, so Silicon Valley right now is in the throes of, of, of like disrupting everything. And I think part of that is they've spent 20 plus years, 20, 30 years, many decades building a capability, which is how to build digital solutions, how to build services and products that people really, really like. You can think back the big names that have come out of Silicon Valley over the many decades that Silicon Valley has been there. And so there is a capability within Silicon Valley, which is to build brilliant digital solutions, digital products and services. This is where I think that capability then applied to a field, a marketplace, which is traditionally not very technical, such as taxis, you know, such as, I mean, there's a whole list of them. I'm not even going to list them out, but there are many different examples. I think that becomes quite interesting just because you're removing that capability, which is digital stuff into places which aren't traditionally digital, right? Doesn't mean they're definitely going to work, but certainly that's something that we're beginning to see quite a lot of. The key that I'd look at is the capability there is digital, you know, building digital products and services that pro customers really like and appreciate. Yes, yeah. I, I think you, you touched on a piece there that's worth playing. There's so, like, ways of identifying this. Um, one of the tools that um, that, that I've used, uh, like Wardley Mapping, is, is quite a powerful tool when it comes to this identification of where there's where there's opportunities or as a thought model around like how are things uh, progressing where might there be opportunities for us to to look for um, places where we should be focusing um, which or and also in if we look at our own business uh, models which parts of our business models should we be focusing on less and which bits should we be emphasizing and uh, putting more uh, focus around yeah i mean wardly mapping as a what i I think it's a, an excellent point that you're making there. So we're talking about capabilities. We're talking about understanding your own capabilities. A tool like Wardley Mapping is all about 
mapping out your capabilities and and how well developed they are and what role they play in the success of the product or service that you are, the value chain, as he describes it, that y-axis of what you're delivering. And where, I mean, there, there are two things coming out of that. One is just that appreciation and understanding of capabilities that you're leaning on. You know, you may have strategic weaknesses where you're leaning on a capability that you don't really control and there may be a problem there versus there may be strategic strengths because you've developed a capability that's maybe not necessarily recognized, but is very highly valued in the marketplace. The other beauty of Wardley mapping is it begins guiding us onto where to think, what markets to look at, what capabilities we can build on top of and transform into some opportunities. So when I look at something like that, I look at this sort of um, something like Wardley mapping as being really critical as a tool to to map out something that we could start using to explore possible domains within which to transform or where to transform to. Yeah, I've, I've had some some success working with organizations on, on using it in that way as well. It's a, a way of looking at how do we work and where should we focus. It's very powerful. Well, I think another tool for us to be aware of is the, the Kinevin framework around complexity and then specifically the if you're familiar with the Kinevin framework, there's this shift from complex or chaotic problems through to much more straightforward, what they call clear or complicated problems. But there's also a cliff between the clear to chaotic and then complex. And that that drop off is, you know, if, if, if we were uh, any of the big players in the server business before AWS came along, they, as an incumbent, they kind of dropped off that cliff from a clear, complicated, they knew what they were doing, they knew their market, they knew everything about what they needed in terms of data centers and data center management and how you sell it and what people are looking for. And they suddenly drop off a cliff into a space where now they're competing and they don't have the right tools for the job. So again, in the same way that Wardley Maps allow us to understand our own capabilities and where the opportunities might arise, we can use tools like the Kinevin framework to understand maybe there is a, a lever that can be pushed or a nudge that can move an incumbent. How do we move them into a place where they struggle to compete? And again, a, a great example of this one is Netflix as they shift from DVDs to streaming. And they, I mean, Netflix is always famous for kind of what they did to Blockbuster, but that shift from DVDs to streaming is also is significant that that kind of changed the game in many many different ways in fact you know even right through to how content is made and and again that shift is something that um is is all encompassing none of us have dvds anymore like none of us have dvds anymore it's totally changed how okay. i don't think i have anything that plays them <laughs> you have dvds behind you but nobody else has dvds peter <laughs> No, I mean, it, and it's it, this is the sort of opportunity, if you like, that you get in the domain transformation. You can define a new category. You can go in and own that category. So there's huge benefits and therefore a huge sort of magnetic pull for organizations to get into a domain transformation. But successfully making that happen is challenging. It's a lot harder. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I think to, to wrap up, one other example that we were discussing right before here was, it was Tesla. And their disruption of the domain of, of cars and like the introduction of electric vehicles. Uh, there's and electric vehicles in general are incredibly disruptive to the uh, 
sort of the traditional um, engines that we've had in cars that are pumping that run on gasoline and that uh, are running around the uh, the world as we know it today. And so they've come in and they've very much disrupted that domain. And the current incumbents in that domain are playing catch up. They're they're also trying to build electric vehicles. Uh, but and I think on the last episode we, we were talking about. Uh, the, from a business model, how the business model around cars significantly changes due to the fact that they're now um, that there's many computers inside. There might be fifty to hundred computers inside of a car, and all of them need software updates regularly and need to make, and need to be maintained, which makes it much harder over time to for people to fix these themselves. And now it becomes makes much less sense to have a car for twenty years. It's going to have to be updated and replaced much more frequently than that. It becomes a risk to have it on the road. So the whole model changes as a consequence of that. But And when we look at these these two com- the competitors, right, all of the traditional car manufacturers and Tesla, Tesla's started to hit these distribution problems, these problems where they've had to have recalls or they've had difficulty being able to make enough vehicles to satisfy demand or be able to distribute those vehicles. And meanwhile, the traditional people, even though they don't know how to build these complex electric vehicles, they do know how to distribute cars and they do know how to manufacture at scale. So there's a race going on here between will the traditional manufacturers work out how to build electric vehicles that people want in before Tesla works out how to distribute the ones they already know how to build? Well, I, I mean, and I'm always rem- reminded there's a great book. Um, I think it's The Machine That Changed the World that talks about cars. And I'm talking about gas powered, like petrol driven, gas powered cars, however we want to, whatever phrase you want to use. Um, internal combustion engines was what I was trying to Thank you. Internal combustion engines. Let's go with that. But but cars, you know, the, the interesting thing in the last century, if you like, is that that automobile manufacturer is one of the, if not the most complex physical product made. And so the machine that changed the world is talking about how Toyota really became very, very adept at that. Today, with electronic, well, electric vehicles, EVs, the, the cars themselves, the mechanics are pretty simple, but the complexity is now in the computer, hardware, and software. And that's that capability difference, right? If you if you go and look at uh, Wardley mapping and you understand what does Silicon Valley, what do computer software geeks bring to the table, they bring the understanding of how to build complex hardware and software. What do the automobile manufacturers bring to the table? They bring the capability of building complex physical products. And as you say, there's a race, there's a, and, and it'll be won by partnerships, I'm sure, and various things like that, because there's a big experience curve in both directions that needs over. So let's wrap start? things up. Yes. I was going to say, let's, let's wrap things up. What's the two or three things that you would take away from our conversation? Uh, so I liked the thought around, um, like, I think there's this entering an adjacent domain where you take what you've learned and you say, I can, I can identify something that's in an, an adjacent domain that's next to me that, that I can move into. And I can st- I start to see if I can take over. Like this is your, your AWS going from, hey, I, I already needed all of this to support my retail business. And what happens if I sell this uh, to all the people who have data centers? See what happens. And uh, so that I think that's a good, yeah, I think there's, um, the, there's the people who come in and domain dis- to intentionally to disrupt a domain. They have an idea and they're going to come in and they're going to 
take an entirely different approach to domain and that ability to innovate and go fast, um, I think is a really critical. And this is your, your lifts and Ubers of this world coming in and looking, taking a totally different approach. Um, and then I liked, uh, I think the third point was some of the tools that we can use around this, like Wardley mapping and uh, Kinefin as a decision framework to understand uh, like what types of problems are we dealing with and help us understand where we might want to focus. Um, and goes, uh, anything else you would add? Well, I think um, I'd add a, one kind of thing right at the beginning. We said one company's domain transformation is another company's business model transformation. And I think they are two sides of the same coin, depending on basically what capabilities you bring to the table and whether you're disrupting, you're shifting your market or you're shifting somebody else's market. So I think that piece is really critical for us to understand. Um, and sort of in closing is, is be aware that um, domain transformations are super, super hard. And nearly all of the examples we've given are obvious in hindsight. There is a lag in a way that we've not really talked about the detail there, but a lot of it is you kind of find your way somewhere and then you look around and you go, oh, you know what, we can make this work rather than a planned approach uh, in many cases. Maybe there are examples of planned approaches, but they're probably rare. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dave, as always. Um, if anyone would like to provide us feedback, they can at feedback at definitelymaybeagile.com. And I look forward to next time when we're going to be talking about cultural and organizational transformation, the last of our four. So. Well, the glue that fits everyone, everything together. Yes, exactly, exactly. Brilliant. Until next time. Thanks again, Peter. Until next. You've been listening to Definitely Maybe Agile, the podcast where your hosts, Peter Madison and David Sharrock, focus on the art and science of digital, agile, and DevOps at scale.